It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The Province Sports Podcast. Welcome to the White Towel Podcast. I'm Paul Chapman, joined by Ed Willis this week. This is our Canucks podcast. You can download it on Apple Podcasts. Please subscribe, give us a rating, let us know if you like it. It is brought to you by Key West Ford. Go to keywestford.com, Western Canada's largest selection of trucks. Also, BC's largest selection of Mustangs. So keywestford.com if you want to check that out. Ed, this is the Chicken Little Sky is Falling edition. Um, you know, I foolishly talked about their resiliency after coming back to nothing down against Montreal on that road trip and then everything fell apart four straight losses where is this team headed yeah that's uh, who 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 knows it, you know on on the one hand it, it it's fairly simple right they they allow way too many scoring chances defensively they're not sound enough when Markstrom was in he masked all those problems now their goaltending has been average at best and it's exposed all these warts in the game of course, it's never that easy with the Canucks. It's got to be all these other factors coming in. Uh, that first goal, like, uh, it was like Rube Gold Goldberg designed that goal. I, I, I still, for the life of me, can't figure out how the puck ended up where it is. And really, that that goal defined the game for the first two periods. Um so here we are again. I I I don't know. They, it, it's disturbing that they're this fragile. Disturbing that they can't seem to protect a lead. Concerning they seem to get come down with a case of the vapors when the pressure gets turned on to them. So th- th- that's where we are. I, I still thought this team was built uh, to withstand injuries, to withstand pressure, to withstand a lot of the things they're facing now. They're just not doing it. I know hockey culture is is its own thing where, you know, you're kind of respecting the game and you don't say anything outlandish and of course we know they're so managed and coached and what they have to say but looking at some of those clips in the locker room last yeah. night I mean you would you would have thought they were all coming from a funeral I mean Thatcher Demko looks like he could need a hug <laughs> I know you were in the locker room last night I, this is very typical of what you see of a team mired in a slump but do they need some sort of a spark within well, I, I think they do. I, I really do. They, they've got to, like, change the energy. They've got to change the script. They've got to change something, you know. And, and that was kind of the mantra everybody was repeating last night. We have to t- trust the process. You know, we've, we've battled all year for five months, and we've, we're in this place now. And we've just got to revert back to those things we've been doing all along. And that's great when you've got Jacob Markstrom in net standing on his head virtually every night then maybe you can do those things but i i don't know to me they need some they need a jolt of something 
and uh, wrote this, and I think I've mentioned it in the other video, but but I still don't understand. They're sitting there. They're getting nothing from Louis Erickson. They're getting nothing from Antoine Roussel. They've got the leading score in the American Hockey League down in Utica. They've got a guy, Justin Bailey, who's probably on, I think if you extrapolate his number, he's on a 40-goal pace. What... Uh, you're telling me that they can't give you a little more than what you're getting from those other two guys. To me, they've just got to change it. They they need a spark somewhere along the line. So maybe that if that comes from within, the one thought I had was it might come from uh, Jake Vertan and the way he played. That was really that was a big boy game he played against Arizona, and it was one of the few times I can remember him showing up and being a leader on a team when it mattered most. Maybe he can do that. Maybe he can you know change things around. But they need something. Uh, maybe they need Jacob Markstrom back more than anything. Yeah, well, but the, and, and, could be and, that simple, right? The, well, and this is where we talk about. Obviously, we've got – they're still in with a very good shot to make the playoffs. And who knows what will happen if they get some guys back healthy and are in the playoffs. But – and you'll have to – excuse me. I have a cold, so this is my tribute to Lambinio. Kind of have a lozenge thing going. Anyhow, um, apologies if this is making the podcast difficult to listen to. Uh, I'll try and shut up and let Ed talk. So on that note, when you look at uh, – the forwards, we know the skill they have there. We've, and of course, it seems like Quinn Hughes is a bit banged up now, but we know how great Quinn Hughes is. But it's pretty clear if Markstrom now is going to be a priority for them to re-sign. I even look at the veterans. We've talked all year about how good Miller is. Toffoli, look again last night scores a really nice goal. Uh, Pearson, what a great story he's been since he's come in. All fingers point to if this team is going to make the next leap, is they need an upgrade on, on the blue line. Correct. Well, yeah, I just don't know how they do it. They've got, you know, they went out and got Tyler Myers, and they they had to know they're getting at best a three or a four. They're paying him like a top pairing guy, and it's kind of he's got warts in his game now. He's a minute eater. I think he's given them about everything they could have reasonably uh, asked for at the start of the season. But they've got so many resources, you know, tied up in him. They've got Adler at another five million. And Tanev's unrestricted. I'm not sure how they fit all those pieces in, but I don't know how you upgrade it. I, 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 I really, I really don't. You know, Hughes will be like a year older next year, and may a little, maybe, you know, there's a bit of an uptick there. But this is kind of the team, and you know, so we can now kind of dovetail that conversation into this one. What if they don't make the playoffs? Now they they go into the off season. That's five years in a row. They're tight against the cap. How do, how do they improve? This is kind of their team. This is it. They had a formula when Markson was in, and he was giving them Vesna caliber goaltending on on virtually a nightly basis. That formula is no longer in play, and we're seeing kind of what's left now isn't good enough. So that's a that's a fascinating question because when you look at so-called their next up prospects, obviously Pug Colson can't come for two years mm-hmm. or for another season after this one at least. Um, and you know people are getting all all hot and bothered over seeing some of Hoglander's highlights. But again, you go back to the blue. I mean, when they drafted Quinn Hughes, it was this whole thing they hadn't spent a high draft pick on a defenseman since Luke Bourdon. You go back through the Canucks history, they never had a top, you know, anyone you yeah. even put in the Norris Trophy conversation. So you do look at where it's coming from, but you talk about bringing up Bailey or Boucher, and I know there's been soreness or health issues. What about Yul Levy? Well, or is yeah, this just it, not a spot to put him in well, right now? So, yeah, just further to your point about Yul Levy was the fifth overall pick. They, 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 yeah. Yeah. Uh, invested really, really, really a steep price in him. It wouldn't be him. It would be Rafferty would be the guy. 
Um, you love you. He's just trying to find his way, and it could be another. I don't really see him being a you know viable call call up candidate until halfway through next season, and that's if he keeps on. You know, and all the reports are he's, you sort of see flashes, you see moments where it looks like he's ready, getting ready, or getting closer to making the next step. And but there are still huge holes in his game, and if they're exposed at the American Hockey League level, they're certainly going to be exposed at the NHL level. So back to your point, I I, I don't know what they do with the defense. I I I, I honestly don't. I I I think Rafferty is an option. I think Nikita Triamkin's potentially an option next year. Probably they might work a little cheaper than than, than Tanev would on the open market, but. Tanev's also given them just about everything they could have hoped for at the start of the year, plus he's been healthy. So, again, we come back to this question, like, how do they improve that blue line? I'm not sure you can. Maybe it's got to be a systematic thing. Maybe you've got to change the way you play, change the philosophy. I think I mentioned it on the video. One of the thoughts that occurs to me, they, they play a style of game that kind of is overreaches their talent level. You know, they think they can play this up-tempo game that, the you know, enforce and pressure all over the ice that the really good teams can do. Um, yes, they've scored more goals, but it leaves them exposed at the back end. And then right now, that's where they're being exploited. That uh, leads me into something else I wanted to ask you about. Um, we've only touched peripherally this year on the job that Travis Green has done, but Right now is really, I mean, you can point at Elias Pettersson, you can look at Miller, you can look at Horvat and talk about leadership and all these things. But this is a this is a stand up and be counter moment for our coach, is it not? Yeah, I think it is. It, it, it is now heading into the off season. Who does the finger get pointed at? Does it get pointed at Benning? Does it get pointed at Green? Does Benning get to fire another coach? Especially given some of the you know the decisions and some of the contracts that have been handed out under his watch, I don't know. But geez, you know it, this collapse if if it happens, it, it's fairly epic, and it really eats away at the credibility of Green as a head coach. And and you wonder, you know, can they bring him back if they finish this this tank job? And, and I, I'm not sure if you can. I'm not sure if you can. It just seems like you, you would have lost the confidence of the player, lost the conf, confidence of, of ownership, and lost the confidence uh, of the marketplace. And I think it's too bad because I think he's a pretty good coach. I think, you know, in time he will round into, you know, a fairly successful NHL coach. It's just like it's happening now. And, uh, yeah, it is. It's, it, it, it's a watershed moment. You know, him. it's funny. <laughs> I know you're big on the Twitter, Ed. Um, mm. When you said, who does the finger get pointed at, Green, Benning, I just, in my head, I have that Spider-Man meme where the two Spider-Men are pointing at each other. <laughs> and that's I, that's how I see this, you know, uh, almost like that clip from The Office as well, where they're all doing the guns pointed at each other, mm -hmm. like the Reservoir dog scene. But it's, uh, I think it is pretty clear. If this momentous collapse, I still think they like the playoffs personally, but if this collapse continues, um, the the key thing you mentioned there is ownership. Yeah. I mean, you just think that someone has to pay for this, right? Like this, this has been when you when you look at the Aquilini's uh, sort of pedigree since they bought the team. This is a fairly tenured group, aside from Trevor mm -hmm. being peeled off, and we know the circumstances there. That was definitely an ownership call. But I look at this group here and I go, yeah, yeah I think someone's going to have to pay the price. 
Yeah, I, I, I do too. Five years out of out of the playoff, Benning's sixth year on the on the job. Absolutely, I'm sorry, I'm still stunned by your Reservoir Dogs reference. That was awesome to drop that one in <laughs> for you kids out there. And it's amazing how well that movie holds up. It was really yeah. the one that put Quentin Tarantino on the on the map. Uh, but I digress. Yeah, I, they, and and isn't that always the way? And it's been really the case since the Aquilinis took over. They're they're the wild card in this. You, they just you just never seem to know from moment to moment. The one thing I would say is I think you know Benning has reflected uh, ownership's philosophy there to go out to win now to be aggressive in the player market to trade for J T Miller to trade for Tyler Toffoli to you know expend some fairly rich assets in getting them all for the sake of winning now. Now, if that doesn't work and they don't make the playoffs, we come back to this question, who who do you point the finger at? Do you point the finger at the general manager who's built this team and built this roster, you know, and, and given the coach a chance? At the same time, looking at how hamstrung they're going to be going forward uh, under the salary cap, or do you point the finger at the head coach? It's, it's, it's an interesting one. It's a very interesting one because it is, in many ways, a chicken and egg thing, right? It, I... You know, they've had some quality high draft picks that we've talked about sort of ad nauseum. Um, but the reason you're getting high quality draft picks is because your team's bad. Mm-hmm. And while they haven't hit the home run in terms of the lottery ball, they've hit the home run in the guys they've ended up with. Yeah. And they seemingly have some more great offensive talent coming down the pipe. But then you look at how, like, I, if I was to question betting, obviously there's still that free agency situation there. And, and you look at some of the big contracts yeah. with not very high impact players. I had not been impressed with uh, Jim Benning's trade acumen, except now you look at guys like Pearson and Toffoli, and it actually looks yeah, okay. Miller, yeah, yeah. Well, Miller, obviously, yeah. No, Miller yeah. was a home run. Yeah, absolutely. So they've upgraded there. Yeah. So yeah, if you look at where this team goes from here, it, it, I dare I say it, while Jim Benning is a lightning rod, I think you'd almost have to question the coaching more than the the, the talent that he's got. Well, and, and again, and I just sort of the way ownership is lined up. And, and the way they, you know, they extended Banning, they basically chose his vision of the team over Trevor Linden's vision of the team. That's an oversimplification, but that's about what it comes down to. Then you're inclined to think, you know, yeah, he's got, he has the quote unquote confidence of, of, of ownership. Now, does that last? Does that buy him another year if they're out of the playoffs again for the fifth straight year? It's a great question. I, I don't know. And like I said, like like reading reading this ownership group is an inexact science at best. When you think they're going to do one thing, they tend to do the other and vice versa. So I, I don't know. It just shapes up. There's just so much riding on these last 16 games, Paul. It really oh, is. Oh, absolutely. You know you, you know, you think of, you know, the, the the narrative that was being spun two weeks ago. After that win against Boss, you know, they get to Foley in the lineup. You know, they beat the hated Bruins 9-3 on home ice. I can't remember where that put them in the standings, but it just seemed unthinkable. Oh, and all here, of a sudden, it, people started quoting where they were in the overall NHL standings for the first time. <laughs> Instead of just saying, hey, they're solidly in a wild card spot, people were like, they're sixth in the NHL or fifth in the NHL. And here we are 10 days later, yeah. and, and, and again, you know, people are... <laughs> People are pounding their chest and rending their garments, as our colleague uh, and good friend Tony Gallagher used to say. And, and it's, staring it's, at it's, a schedule. It's, it's, it really is. Like in, in, in the history, in, the, in the, the great and glorious history of this franchise, this is a moment. This really is. This one could go down, and I don't want to over-dramatize it because God knows there's enough of that going on. But but you, you think of where this team was and then think of how fast this has all happened. It really is such a Canucks way of doing things. It is. And if staring at the schedule here, you talk about how crucial these next games are. 
Colorado, Columbus, and New, the New York Islanders at home. Yeah. And then on the road for back-to-backs against Arizona and Colorado again. Um, not the most difficult schedule, but certainly not no. an easy one. And those two Colorado games and that other, the, the, the rematch with Arizona, those are massive games. I guess this is what we were talking about when we said meaningful games in March, though. Well, yeah. So, And again, so let's kind of take a step back. And, and I think most people thought the same thing about this team, that, you know, they were probably still a year or two away, probably still a player or two away. They were, probably, they were going to be improved. Uh, they were going to, you know, force the issue until mid-March, but ultimately they were going to come up a little short. Now, that's kind of the way it's played out. It, they didn't quite see the script being written the way it was, though. You know, for them to look so secure and so good and so confident from one minute to now being, you know, in this kind of panic mode and, and taking the rest of the market and taking the market with them. So, it, it, again, it's it, it's so... It's such a weird, weird situation and so hard to, you know, to, to do a really, you know, strict, coldly analytical view of what's happened because there's just so many variables involved here. Yeah, if you look, it's funny, if you look at their goals against and goals for uh, per game, um, I think they're ninth in goals for and tenth in goals against. Like, mm-hmm. you know, so I'm not great at math, but that's top third of the <laughs> NHL. But I think when you look at where they are, this is where, to me, it's a fascinating offseason and, and, and a finish um, because they seem on the knife edge, right? Like they're, they're there, but what do they need to push them like yeah. full time into to have that consistency, to not go through these slumps, to not have to rely on all world goaltending? Um, or is this team going to slide back the other way and just look like they're hopeless? And we've seen so many teams. I mean, Colorado themselves had looked like they, you know, Take a step, then they have two bad seasons. But you look at the collection of talent and say, okay, they're finally where they should be. Calgary, another yeah. team. Edmonton, another team. There's a lot of teams in the West that have a lot of talent that haven't been able to put it together. And the Canucks are right in the mix there. Um, I had gone from feeling that, you know, the way this team has looked, and you're right, you cite games like against the Bruins, that they're capable of beating whoever they play in the first round. Um, but I'm not so sure you'd say that now. And I, I guess that speaks to a young team and how fragile they are. Well, yeah. And, you know, what you were saying, you know, so how, how did they make that next step? How did they, you know, you know, impose themselves on the Western Conference? And, and to me, we have to find out. So is Elias Patterson a superstar center? Is he a franchise center or just a really good one? There's a huge difference there. I think of where Nathan McKinnon was in his first three years, and I don't have the data, but I know nobody, or there's some question he was going to be the player he is now, which is one of the top five players in the league. You look at Patterson, I wouldn't go that far with him, but can he be that guy? Can he be one of the ten top centers in the NHL? Is Brock Besser a 25-goal scorer, or is he a 35-goal scorer? Huge difference. You know, Quinn Hughes seems to be, you know, that guy. But, you know, can he do that in a year in, year out? And can he maybe get to that 70, 75 point level? I think we can now put Jake Vertanen into that conversation, too. Is he a legitimate 2020 guy? And maybe can he push that forward and be a 25 goal scorer? I mean, those are four really big pieces. And there's still some upside there with the young players. And to me, that's kind of what it's going to determine where this team goes. They've all taken a bit of a step this year. But can they take my best 
kind of a different situation, I know. But can they take that next step to get into that rarefied air where the the best, the be- very best players in the NHL breathe? Yeah, big questions, Ed. Uh, great stuff. I think we'll leave it there. As we've touched upon all podcasts, these next uh, handful of games for the Canucks are going to be very telling as to where the season goes and answering those questions. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll be back again next week. Thanks to Key West Ford, keywestford.com, BC's largest selection of Mustangs. They also have Western Canada's largest selection of trucks, so check them out if you're in the market for either of those. Again, subscribe to us through Apple Podcasts. You can read Ed's columns at theprovince.com, vancouversun.com. Check out our videos and more of our Canucks content every day. Thanks, folks.